This episode of Pub Talk Live was broadcast on February 8th, 2020, with guest co-host Erica Wright and special guest Alex Segura. I experienced internet connectivity issues during this episode, and the worst of it has been edited out. Welcome to the February 8th episode of Pub Talk Live, a live publishing talk show, airing the second and fourth Saturday of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm not going to go through all that again. You can find all the information in the description down below. Just go ahead down there. Uh, I'm going to introduce today's guest co-host, Erica Wright. Erica Wright's latest novel, Famous in Cedarville, was called A Clever Little Whodunit in the New York Times book review. Her debut, The Red Chameleon, was one of Oh, the Oprah Magazine's best books of summer 2014. She is also the author of poetry collections, Instructions for Killing the Jackal, and All the Bayou Stories End with Drowned. She is the poetry editor at Guernica Magazine. Hey, Erica, did I say that right? The magazine name? <laughs> you did. You did. And actually, we've always thought about making a tote that says we don't know how to say it either because... Oh. A lot of staff members also pronounce it differently. So, yeah, nicely done. <laughs> and thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. Heather, Heather's here. Heather says hi. And Kelly O's here. Holly Davis. Hello. Hello. Um, thanks for letting me know that I was muted. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize it sooner, <laughs> guys. All right. Um, so, if you haven't yet voted in today's viewer poll, make sure you go and do that on Twitter. And I'm going to drop the link into the chat right now so you can go vote on that. And the question is, how many books did you read in 2019? And that is um, based on the Twitter hell that I am in right now, <laughs> which maybe we'll talk about later. Um, all right. I'm checking and making sure everyone's here. If you are watching this on Twitter, like if you're watching it invert, um, in embedded, sorry, on Twitter, make sure you click on through because the conversations are happening on the YouTube um, chat. So you won't be able to see the chat there and I won't be able to see your comments unless you you actually click over the YouTube site. And I'll try to remember to say that later because we always get people who come in later. Kelly's here, Kelly Garrett. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> Um, she, she was babysitting tonight. She's like, I'm going to try to watch. <laughs> All right. So we're going to dive right into news items. There's a lot that happened in the publishing industry in the last two weeks. That is um, true. We had like a slightly slow time in December where and the only thing happening was RWA, but we're back in full gear now. Um, so even though it feels like much, much longer. It's been less than two weeks since Lee and Lowe released their diversity in publishing 2019 survey. Most notably, they said, quote, there is no discernible change to any of the other racial categories. In other words, the field is just as white today as it was four years ago. Uh, in fact, editorial is even more white than last year, while marketing and publicity have the lowest percentage of white employees at 74 <laughs> percent not, not great yeah <laughs> um so we're gonna have a link in the description down below for the full survey so make sure you go and check that out later tonight i'll add the links later tonight um i'm getting a little bit of echo is anyone else seeing echo hearing echo not seeing no okay 
As long as y'all aren't hearing it, it's fine. <laughs> so in the span of two days this week, Barnes and Noble and Penguin Random House announced and canceled an initiative called Diverse Editions. The idea was to release a series of classic novels with a new variant cover art featuring people of color. To be clear, nothing inside of the novels was to be changed, including the text of The Secret Garden, which has on the page racist statements about Indian people that are never challenged by the characters. After public outcry, they canceled the series and the corresponding event. Penguin Random House tweeted that they will donate $1 to the Hurston Wright Foundation, which helps black authors for every tweet with the hashtag black stories have power. So the hashtag is hashtag black stories have power. And I'll tell you what's astonishing to me about this is how many people had to say yes to this idea, which I think at first blush, most writers, most people would say, oh, that's an awful idea. It's going to, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not promoting diversity. In fact, it's kind of doing the opposite of that. It's encouraging people to buy um, classics by white dead authors. Um, so that was my first thought was, I just thought of those meetings, how many people were in those meetings and did anyone speak up and were they ignored or did everyone just sort of give the thumbs up? Yeah. Um, when I first saw it, I honestly, I kind of thought it was like a parody or something. I, it was so ridiculous to me that I didn't think that it was a real thing that several people had to like rubber stamp. Yeah, exactly. That it's getting the rubber stamp. Um, I, I think there was that Budweiser commercial a few years ago, or maybe even more recently than that. And I should have looked it up before this conversation, but it had the, sort of that terrible tagline that was something like, yes, no means yes, or something like that. But it, mm. And I just think this is a multi-million dollar company. Um, you know, all of those commercials are vetted and yet somehow no one raised their hand and said, hey, I, I think this actually might be a bad idea, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I, like I'm not surprised it got canceled because as soon as I yeah. saw it, I was like, this is one of the most ridiculous ideas I've ever seen. And I mean, that's saying something for publishing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so go out and tweet Black Stories Have Power so that um, random Penguin Random House has to give money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so the 2020 Audio Awards finalists were announced. The winners will be announced at a ceremony in New York on March 2nd. Um, Everyone who has seen the show before knows I'm a huge audiobook fan. And I was actually a judge for the Audis. I don't think I'm allowed to say what category still. No. Um, but I will say, like, one of my favorites is a finalist. And the two books that I really, really hoped weren't finalists are not. So I'm pretty much happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that I, I listen to audiobooks pretty rarely. I work from home, so I don't have a commute. Mm -hmm. Um and I feel like I enjoyed them, but I don't have a, I don't think I could articulate why I like a particular audiobook over another. Do you have any advice? What makes something really stand out to you or anyone in the comments as well? So what, what makes a really good audiobook to you? Yeah. Um, while we wait for the comments to come through, I like, well, I mean, so I will say when I started listening, it was a little bit harder for me to get into them. And so uh, and I see people say that a lot, um, but I think you have to kind of train yourself a little bit if it's hard at first. And and then 
I, I prefer the narration where the narration is good and there is like some level of acting, but the acting doesn't get in the way. Because mm -hmm. I've definitely heard audiobooks that were like overacted. Or sometimes when they have authors read their own books and the authors mm -hmm. don't have any kind of voice training or anything like that, um, that can be really, really painful. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah, really bad. <laughs> uh, well, Jenny Lawson has a she has an essay about recording the audio for her first book. It must have been and how stressful that experience was and how I think her advice was just pretend that you're good at it, which is advice that I love for life in general. It's good. Yeah, it's really good. Lost Goth said uh, getting the tone right, not being over dramatic. Yeah. yeah. I think if the main character has a great voice, the narrator can really bring that main character even more alive if they have a great tone and voice style. Yeah, that's good. That's really important to have a narrator who matches the voice of the POV character. <laughs> I was yeah. about to say narrator again. <laughs> uh, Ebony's here. Hey, Ebony, I'm glad you made it. Ebony's been here almost every episode. We're so glad you're coming back. Um, yeah, and we're going to talk about, well, the audiobook of the week will be there later, but, um, oh, Kelly Garrett, who's watching, she finally announced the narrator for hers, and it's one of my favorite oh. narrators in the entire world. It's uh, Bonnie Turpin, who narrated The Hate Ooh. You Give and Children and Blood and Bone and all kinds of books. Oh, that's exciting. I, you know, I, I've read both of Kelly's books and I love them, but I think I would listen to the audio as well. I feel like I would enjoy that. I want to hear a new, I want to hear something besides the voice in my head. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's a great narrator. So that's a, that's a really good one to start with. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Ebony said, I agree with you on the voice. It can really set the tone of the book. Yeah. Sure. Am I up next? Yeah, go for it. Oh, this is a sad item, though. On January 31st, the book world said goodbye to mystery legend Mary Higgins Clark, the queen of suspense. She was 92 years old. Yeah, that's very sad. Uh, when I was reading her, I was reading her obituary or the Smithsonian article. I'm not sure if that counts as a as an obituary. Um, but I didn't I, I found it astonishing that she wrote her first book uh, as a single mother after her husband had died and she had five children. Um, so that's a really impressive work ethic. Yeah, it's 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 inspiring and also intimidating a little bit. Yeah, like I have a dog and a cat, and it's hard. Right? Yeah, <laughs> my dog requires a lot of attention. Um, yeah, and the link we're including is from the Smithsonian Magazine, which um, I just thought was like a great article. Um, which it's not where I usually get my book news, but oh, um, nice! It's a nice tribute. <laughs> Kelly said, I'm so happy Bonnie is narrating. Um, we're going back to the last one. So. <laughs> uh, I love her. Great choice, Kelly. Yeah, we'll give Kelly all of the <laughs> props for that. Um, Kelly actually told me like months ago who the narrator was, and I've just been dying to like, talk about it. So, um, <laughs> Oh, Heather said, I hadn't heard that she had passed. Yeah. Um, she's, and her, she's one of the her, authors. Oh, sorry, Sarah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, she's one of those authors who, you know, my, my mom always had the books around. Uh, so the name to me, in, in my mind, it's kind of equated with real author <laughs> because I used to see all, you know, the Mary Higgins Clark's books around the house. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and her daughter is still alive and also writing, and they wrote, co-wrote some books together. So, oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had um, her daughter at my library right before I started working there. <laughs> oh, oh well, <laughs> that's nice though. That's how it happens, right? Yeah. Um, all right, so the American Library Association announced its 2020 Youth Media Awards at ALA Midwinter two weeks ago. Usually when I say this phrase, people return a blank stare. Um, but then when I mention it's a Newberry and Cal Caldecott, and th then they realize <laughs> what that means. So um, the Newberry Medal for Most Outstanding Contribution to Children's Literature was awarded to a graphic novel this year, New Kid by Jerry Craft. The, that book also took home the Corda Scott King Author Award, which recognizes an African-American author of outstanding books for children and young adults. Um, so big winner there. Uh, the Undefeated by Kwame Alexander and illustrated by Katira Nelson was awarded both the Caldecott Medal and the Coretta uh, Scott King Illustrator Award. Um, and th so those were the two big winners, but definitely check out the full list of award winners. There are so many more awards that are given out to recognize all kinds of great books. Um, and so when I post that link, make sure you go check those out because um, it's it's a it's a long list, but it's worth it. <laughs> I was uh, I was just in Chattanooga, Tennessee at uh, Starline Books and the owner of the store and a customer were just uh, googly eyed over the undefeated by Kwame Alexander. Um, they love his writing and then uh, they were the illustrations are just incredible in that book. They they showed me as well, of course, because they just yeah. love it so much. So. And I'm always happy to see a poet uh, in another genre. That's always exciting for me. So I think of Kwame <laughs> Alexander as a poet. I know he has the uh, YA novels as well um, and in this children's book, but um, yeah, exciting. He does a lot though. He has he like his own line yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, you're up. <laughs> I'm next, yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, let's just talk about Kwame Alexander. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we could. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pen America has named Patty Smith as the recipient of the 2020 Pen America Literary Service Award, given to an individual making an impact on culture and the human condition. Quote, she has testified to the transformative power of literature in her own life and used her stardom to encourage reading and writing in legions who revere her, end quote, Pen President Jennifer Egan said in a statement. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I love that we have like, we had some like kind of downer news and then we had some good news <laughs> and um, I should probably plan that flow a little bit better. Like <laughs> always end on the happy <laughs> note. You're supposed to sandwich it, right? You're supposed, I mean, this is like sandwich True. or go with the Yeah. <laughs> True. We'll open with, you, you should, I said we, I'm assuming I'm posting from now, from here on out. <laughs> we should open with Patty Smith next time too. <laughs> it's funny. I think um, I've had, I'm thinking five or six now people on the show named Erica or Eric. Oh, so interesting. It's, it's basically the Eric uh, show. Erica. I show. like it. I like my name. Heather, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good balance of bad and good news. Yeah, sometimes I feel like all the news is bad. So I'm I'm good. Mm -hmm. I'm probably have some good ones this week. Ebony's just laughing at us. <laughs> <laughs> so many great winners. Hey, Kendra, how are you? Good to see you here, too. Um, all right. 
So in a continuation of the American Dirt saga, I don't know what to call it, um, executives from Macmillan had a private meeting on Monday with Dignidad Literaria. I don't, my Spanish is terrible. I haven't taken it in 12 years. A coalition of Latinx writers, publisher pros, and academics to discuss the recent American Dirt controversy. Reps from Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey listened in by phone as well. Uh, as a result of the meeting, Macmillan agreed to committing to increase Latinx staff and books, among other things. And they're going to do a plan in the next 90 days, and they're going to meet again in 30 days. Um, and this was, of course, after they announced that the American Dirt um, tour was canceled due to threats. And then in this meeting, indicated that the threats were not towards the author. Right. That there had been no no threats, basically. No death threats. Uh, specifically. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't, every time this comes up, I just like, that, that exactly that. that yeah. yeah. Just friend. <laughs> What's happening? Um, well, we didn't yeah. get to talk about the first item um, about diversity in publishing and how it hasn't changed at all. Yeah, this. And this, I think this relates this idea of Macmillan committing to increasing the Latinx staff and books. Um, which is great, and I really hope that happens. But another issue, and I wish I thought of this point, um, someone mentioned on Twitter, the salaries of the, you know, kind of these entry-level positions are mm -hmm. so low that, um, you know, you can't take them unless you have a second job or you have some sort of, you know, um, fallback play, you have someone supporting you, basically. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a whole, it's a, it's definitely a systemic problem. Um, and again, I hope they are really are committed to fixing it, but it's, it's going to have to, it's going to require a lot of work, not just a few meetings. Yeah. The last episode, JJ and, um, uh, Patrice talked a lot about that as well and how like the starting salary for an editorial assistant hasn't gone up in New York in like 10 years and yeah. it's just unlivable. I, I interviewed at one of the big five, my uh, freshwater college, and I was shocked at the salary. And I uh, I don't think there's any way I, I was living in New York. I, I had very cheap rent, actually. I was living in one bedroom with a roommate, the way you do. And uh, I still don't think there's any way I could have afforded it. I took a different job with a with an art gallery because, and even though I, you know, writing is obviously my passion, I found my way back here, but, um, yeah, those starting salaries are just, uh, they're shockingly low. And as you're saying, they haven't really been raised in a decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've definitely looked at it myself and I've been talking more and more about it lately. And, but like, I just, like, I'm really good at math and I can't make the math work, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I'm up again. Yep, yeah, I'm bad it's at fine. this. It's our last one, so you're, you're good. <laughs> Oh, okay. Excellent. Chatting for a while. All right. This is about money too. I feel like it's our, it could be our money episode. Amazon, which is known for keeping most of their numbers close to their chest, announced that authors earn more than 300 million from their KDP Select program, which pays per page read. They said they have more than a thousand authors who had royalties of more than $100,000 in 2019 through the KDP program. Yeah, um, it's very rare to get any numbers out of Amazon. So every time they release anything, people kind of like latch onto it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But this, uh, more than a thousand authors had royalties of more than a hundred thousand dollars. And so that opens up the discussion about, um, which has been a problem on KDP Select for a long time, um, book stuffing. Do you know about this book stuffing? I do not. I do not. Okay. It um, sounds nice. It sounds like a pastry. Is it something positive? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's really sweet, though. <laughs> um, no. So uh, it's a problem where these, I don't even, yeah, I guess they're authors. Sometimes they're not authors. Sometimes they're just straight up scammers. Oh. But um, where they, so, you know, they pay per page read, right? Mm -hmm. And so they'll put like a whole bunch of um, extra information. So like the book is over. The book is like however many pages, 250 pages, you know. And then there's like 50 pages of like uh, the, the first 50 pages of the next book and like an interview with the author. And they'll just have like a whole bunch of extra, extra stuff to keep people from reading or to keep people reading. But then also what they do, and I think Amazon has cracked down on this, is they would have a table of contents and there would basically be like 50 blank pages and then chapter one. And so you click on chapter one and it counts as being 50 pages being read. Oh, wow. That's sneaky. Yeah. That's really sneaky. Yeah. Everyone else here has already heard about this. You're like, oh, this is, uh, that's no, this is great. I love <laughs> that's like, that's some um, uh, creative cheating. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of problem. And like David Garin, I don't know if that's how you say his last name. Um, it has a lot of silent consonants. Um, he talks a lot about it on Twitter. So like, if you want to learn more about it, um, he talks a lot about that on Twitter. Um, Heather has a good point. That sounds like a lot, but how many make less than a hundred K? And that's, that's a really true statement. I work with a lot of like brand new authors and they'll say that, they'll say, well, like, these authors are making this much money self-publishing, but they don't understand the work that has gone into that. You know what I mean? Right. Well, my first thought was, I have to go back to the number, more than a 1,000 authors are making more than 100,000. But, I, I mean, how many authors are self-publishing? It's a lot more. I mean, yeah. more than a 1,000 to me means, like, a 1,001, right? <laughs> like there, it's, it's, uh, so, I mean, it's, I mean, there are a lot of authors who are making a dollar a year, ten dollars a year, especially when you think about costs and things like that. Yeah, there are a lot of authors who are making negative money after yeah, spending sure. money on covers and stuff. Yeah, um, and I, I think a lot of people see stuff like this and they think, "Oh, it's easy. I can make so much money." Right. Um, when it's actually really hard to get to that level for most people. Some people, I feel like, just luck into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't mean to say that to be discouraging. I think there are a lot of, you know, there were definitely yeah. pros and cons to self-publishing. But I find that those statistics, I get a little worried that they uh, are just misleading to someone who's new to writing. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think you just have to be smart about it. And a lot yeah. of people rush into it a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I, I self-published some of my romance books, so I mm -hmm. have no problem with self-publishing. Yeah, yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think it can definitely be the right path, but especially for someone who knows what they're getting into or gets good advice. I mean, there's a lot of great advice online. I I send everyone to Jane Friedman's blog because um, I think she has really good advice on a lot of publishing topics. Mm -hmm. um, there was something else I was going to say, but I forgot. Oh, so yeah. So the other part of it is I, I know an author and she'll do workshops on like how to make five figures a month uh, on 
KDP Select or whatever. Yeah. And I like I know her personally, and she, she does make five figures a month. It's true. Um, and she also spends five figures a month on advertising. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you don't have that money to risk, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different factors involved. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you do have to be proactive and not only the design things that you mentioned, sort of, you know, cover and text and copy editing, but yeah, so much of it is, um, paying for, yeah, paying for ads on Amazon. And it's running a business. And, and there are yeah. a lot of people who just aren't cut out to run a business, which is not a judgment. It's um, no, no, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. It's hard skill. But I also but love every, every time they talk about how much um, money they've given out through KDP Select, they, they phrase it really oddly. It's something like, <laughs> we chose to give $300 million. <laughs> and I, I'm like, how? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who's doing that math. Yeah, no, it's odd. It's odd right um, I think yeah. for me, it's the same as the more than a thousand authors things. It's very tricky. It's tricksy wording. It's a little bit tricksy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take. Oh, I have. Yeah, I have water. I have my cat. I brought my cat glass for you all. It's my favorite. Oh, nice. Yeah. I have, today I'm doing the Ninja Turtle. Oh, cup. that's good too. That's good too. Yeah. Yeah. No, Ebony always likes to see what cup I'm drinking. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to bring on Alex. We just kind of rambled for a bit. <laughs> um, all right, so Alex Segura is the author of the Pete Fernandez mystery series set in Miami. The most recent and final installment, Miami Midnight, came out in August from Polis Books. Alex has written numerous short stories that have appeared in numerous anthologies and a number of best-selling and critically acclaimed comic books, including the super, superhero noir, The Black Ghost, and Archie Comics titles like The Archies and Archie Meets Ramones. He also co-created the Lethal Lit podcast from iHeartRadio. So please welcome to the show, Alex. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Thanks for having me. I feel like I just Thank burst you into coming. your chat. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been yeah. having my, uh, my blue M&Ms in the green room. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kendra likes our drinkware, so I just thought I need it. Do you oh, have any interesting I have a very drinkware, well Alex? Oh, big glass. I failed at that. I should have brought my like okay. Spider-Man cup or something. It's like <laughs> <laughs> you should have. I, I have, should have one. <laughs> I'll go get it for you. <laughs> you, should, yeah. you should. Um. Yeah, uh, that's that's a secret that no one knows to live video broadcasting is make sure a cup is interesting. The subgenre of uh, what you're drinking <laughs> or where you're solid, drinking. It's solid, solid advice. Hi, um, so Heather's saying hi. Yeah, Ebony is saying hi. Yeah, I don't know where Kelly is. She said earlier only one of her uh, charges was asleep. So. <laughs> I said she was going to listen, but maybe she's gone. Maybe she, she bailed yeah. as I signed on. <laughs> She's like, oh, Alex is here. I'm out. Yeah. Daniel yeah. says hi. Hello. <laughs> um, all right. So I, oh, there she is. Hey Kelly. Yay. <laughs> um, so for those of you who aren't watching, Kelly and Alex are good friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just some random person that we're like, <laughs> where'd you go? Eric and I are buddies too. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's true. It's a small world, the crime world. Crime writing world, I should say. <laughs> um, all right, so 
Alex. Yes. You announced that. I know. (laughs) You announced that you're writing a Star Wars book. Yes, uh, I'm writing a Poe Dameron YA novel that hits in August. So I didn't know it was YA. It is YA. Yeah. Yep. I can confirm that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. Um, That's exciting. So what? What can you tell us? Um, Not much, right? <laughs> I, I yeah. really be, like doing like formal press for it for a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, you know, if you watch the new movie, you'll have some questions about the character, and hopefully, this book will answer them, some of them. So, All right. I, you know, I was really excited watching the movie because I knew I was working on the book, and I was like, okay, this is oh nice into that nice. Oh thing. yeah, yeah. So when did when did you start writing it? Um. You know, it was just, it was very, it was a, it was a tight deadline. I'm still, still working on it now, but oh, okay. um, so late last year, I would say, which wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I know um, people always have these kind of questions. So I'm going to ask for them. Like, how did you get invited to write that? Or was like, did you seek out? Or did they seek you out? They sought me out, which was flattering and exciting and, and awesome. I mean, I think they, you like the peat books and you know I, I i try to hop around and do different things i've written you know lethal lit was a ya podcast as much as a crime podcast and um you know i've written other characters that aren't my own like archie um so there's i think there's an idea that i can at least you know manage ip you know like i, I can play in a sandbox and and i know what the rules are for certain characters and um and i'm a pretty passionate sci-fi fan so star wars and star trek were a big part of my growing up and adulthood so yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like any sort of pressure because of like the kind of craziness that surrounds Star Wars <laughs> fandom? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I just try to write, I just, just trying to do the best I can. And, you know, hopefully that, you know, people can understand that and see the work. And, you know, I just, I'm curious to see what people think of the book. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. you, you can get so bogged down. And this happens with, my own books too. You, you have your own little base of fans and you know what their expectations are. But I think the trick is to just write, be true to yourself and hopefully write the best story you can. And that'll usually appease whoever. You hope. Right. Yeah. Have you listened to a star Wars audiobook? I have, I actually did oh. a lot of, um, I'm a big, I want, I was listening to the audiobook discussion and I'm a big audiobook listener cause I have a, you know, a, a decent commute. So I have like my commute audiobook and then my at home print book. And then if I've fallen into that trap, sometimes if I buy something on Kindle where I do the, uh, what is it? Uh, whisper sync, mm-hmm. where you kind of sync up your Kindle read to your audiobook and so it can pick up automatically. But, um, I listened to Chuck Wendig's aftermath and, um, the 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 Zon the the Thrawn trilogy, the original mm-hmm. one, which was good. I reread those, and yeah, I mean, audiobooks are fun. I, I I've I've dropped the book because the audio narration was bad, um, and I've I've also <laughs> sought out books from narrators I like, like Scott Brick, who did Mystic River, and um, you know, the Stephen King books are always ninety five percent of the time have great audio narrators. Um, yeah, so yeah, I did listen to a bunch of them. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't listened to one, they have background sounds. Yes. Yes. Um, so which, the, Star Trek, the Star Trek ones do too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't it's listened to any Star Trek ones. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, and so like, I mostly liked it, but sometimes in like in, in Chuck's books, 
some of the battle scenes, like it got to, it was like a little too much for me. I was like, ah, yeah. was lasers and all kinds of <laughs> crashes and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just finished listening to the Dune audiobook, and that uh, was pretty intense in that it was one narrator, but he changed his voice for each character. And I think that's wow. expected, but he changed it so significantly that sometimes I had to double check. And and there were also wow. points where there were other actors. So it wasn't just one main mm. narrator doing everything. Oh, that yeah. It was almost like a drama, you know, audio play, which was interesting. But um, I was already, I guess, already shaken up. So the next, whatever I read next was was bound to be calmer than, than doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, um, they, we, sorry. I just finished no. Queen's, Queen Shadow, which is mm -hmm. a Padme book. Yeah. Um, and it had all the background noises, but there were no battle scenes. Well, there was one battle scene. And so I was like much more happy with the background effects because then they didn't distract me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I was just going to say, Lethal Lit has a cast as well, right? It's been a while since I listened to it, but it was not just one narrator, right? Yeah, the trick with the, 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 yeah it was a whole cast. And uh, one of yeah. the, I think one of the coolest parts of that process was sitting in on a table read. Like we went into a studio oh. and all the actors came and they read the script and Monica Gallagher, my co-writer, and I we were just looking at each other like, wow, this is really happening. Like these people are reading what we said. Um, so in many ways, like some audiobooks are as elaborate as Lethal Lit, which is basically uh, an audio drama. But um, I think the trick with Lethal Lit is we were trying, the, the conceit was that it was a true crime podcast. So if you listen to it, you think you, it's it's kind of recorded and produced to sound like serial or something like that when obviously it isn't, but that was the the hook, so. Heather yeah, says, really I, cool. oh, sorry. <laughs> we keep going at the same time. I know. I'm always saying this time at school. It sounds really cool. Uh -huh. I'm glad people like it. I, uh, I'm really fond of those characters. Um, Heather said, I'd love to read a Star Wars novel while in, when is it coming out? August? August 4th. On August, you can read Alex's. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Does it have a title? Does it have a separate title? Yeah, it's uh, uh, Poe Dameron Freefall. Cool. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> Ebony said, I can't imagine the pressure of writing something so well known with so many dedicated fans. I bow to you, Alex. <laughs> I hope I live up to your bow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I feel like I've badgered you enough about Star Wars. We can move on now. <laughs> good. That was very, very friendly, light badgering. So I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Alex, I interviewed you right before um, uh, Miami Midnight came out. Um, for a lit reactor. So I was trying, I don't want to repeat questions, but I am curious. Yeah. You, so we, we were emailing back and forth kind of right before the release, which is clearly a different energy than um, several months in the future. So I'm just curious how it feels now to have wrapped up a series now that you have hopefully had a moment to kind of catch your breath and um, are not kind of in the midst of, of publishing that, that novel. How, do you, how does it feel to kind of have ended Pete's story? It feels, yeah, it's, it's a great question because I think when we were emailing, I was in the depths of like promotion and just yep. trying to get, you know, book launch is such a stressful, unique period of time that I think we can all relate to. But um, I think with some distance, I'm, I'm proud of the series as a whole. And I'm actually really happy with the book as in and of itself, because I feel like I did end it on a good note and I, I could come back if I wanted to, but if it's just those five books, I'm really proud of them. Um, I, you know, you know this as well as anyone that endings, not just endings of novels, but endings of story, you know, arcs are really challenging. So I had to try and loop in everything that came before and give a nod to everything without making it seem like I was just running through a checklist and still having a meaningful story 
um, and still leaving enough open that, you know, someone reading the series doesn't think it's over forever, even if it might be. But um, it was it was challenging. It was much harder than I thought it would be. And I, I went into it with with a I mean, it was just a stressful time. Like, I think I think we were having we were having another kid and there was just a lot of busyness going on. And it was my deadline was much tighter with the fifth book. And I didn't really want to rush it. I wanted to spend as much time as I could and be give Pete a meaningful ending. Um, so I think now with some time, I can look back and, and be more proud and happy about it. Whereas I think when we were emailing, I was like, oh, my God, this is coming and <laughs> and I hope people enjoy it. But um, I think I, I'm actually really proud of it overall. And I think uh, it, it stands really well as these five books. So that's a long winded way of saying I'm much happier now that I'm not writing <laughs> <laughs> or that I'm just not dealing with that pressure of like running towards the deadline. Yeah. yeah I have noticed some... though. Speaking of badgering, I have noticed though on Twitter, people keep really badgering you. Is this the, is this really the end of Pete? So hopefully that's that's a compliment and not frustrating. Well, it's funny. I mean, Eric, not we keep talking about this, but Eric and I have this story that we were working on, I think before Miami Midnight came, you know, before that was announced as the last book. And I like to do these novellas where I collaborate with other crime writers, and we were gonna do one with Pete and Cat Stone, uh, Erica's PI. So that'll happen too. So there's there's going to be another Pete story. It's just not going to be after Miami Midnight. But um, right. you know, a lot of that reaction was really changed my perspective on the book because as I was finishing it, I was like, okay, I'm going to be done, and this will be that, and I can move on to something else. And in the writing, I was, um, I think once it was announced as the last one, that's when it really kind of actually affected the writing because I saw the response and people were not just angry. They were just sad. They were like, Oh my God, I was really just getting into it. And you know, what are you going to do to Pete? Like, are you going to kill him? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and that really brought, brought it to the fore that people really care about these characters. Like even not just Pete, but people were like, what are you going to, what's going to happen to Dave? Or what are you going to do with Kathy? Like, how are the, you know, what's going to happen to these characters? And uh, that was really heartening. You know, it's uh, the plight of the author. You're like, at least somebody's out there reading. <laughs> <laughs> with these people which is good yeah for sure yeah uh sorry i think you I interrupted you before sorry about that oh no i was just uh, i was just saying that um it helps to have some distance from it too for sure yeah it just yeah. um it's just nice to see it as this completed thing you know where we get in the trenches with each book and uh and the last book was really interesting because I kind of had to become a student of my own work, like because you're you're tying up all the plot threads from from the first four. So I had to go back and read each one, and that was really interesting from a, I guess, an archaeological perspective. Just like, wow, <laughs> I did get better. Like there is some momentum here. Like, uh, and uh, Pete's journey did get better, and so I felt like it was a fitting end end note for him, and everyone else, all his other friends, <laughs> if they survived. <laughs> when did uh, you might not even be able to remember this when did you start writing the very first draft of the first book silent silent city silent city is uh, the first one right yeah silent city is yeah. the first one it came out in 2013 from a really small press and then polis picked it up a few years later and uh and and, and published the series the whole series but i, I started it i want to say 2009 maybe a little yeah. bit before then um mm -hmm. I had just moved to New York a little bit before and I was working in comics. So, you know, they always say, you know, when you make your hobbies, your jobs, they become jobs. So <laughs> I started reading a lot of mystery novels as kind of my distraction. And um, I read a lot of <laughs> really, really strong novels in terms of setting and protagonists. And that, that really made me passionate for, 
I guess it gave me kind of the hubris to try and do it myself. I was like, there's no Miami definitive PI series, so I'm going to write it myself. And I, th I think that's kind of why I do anything. Like, I just kind of feel like I'm going to do that. And um, it doesn't, it doesn't, I later on discovered that there were many great Miami PIs. <laughs> I haven't read them yet, but, um, but it was nice to have that kind of youthful uh, ego push me to do it. <laughs> so I try to listen to that voice as much as I can. And would you would you set another book in Miami, or do you feel like you you feel think you've done that now? Uh, I'm working on a standalone crime novel that has Miami elements, so I feel like there's oh. no way that I, I feel like all my work is going to have some. I mean, aside from science fiction or stuff that where there is no Miami <laughs> in the universe, but um, I, th I think most of my work will have at least some element of Miami. And, and this the standalone the character's from Miami; she's just living in New York. So okay, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, I know people have done that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, on my Patreon, um, we give the people opportunity to like submit questions ahead of time. Um, okay. And so we have a question from Lodestar, who is very interested in your work on, uh, related to Archie. So they have a couple of questions. Um, uh, the first part is, is the company involved with the chilling adventures of Sabrina or the Riverdale show? Yes, uh, both shows are done in partnership with Warner Brothers and the CW, but they're they're based on the Archie characters. So, are you consulted at all, or do you have anything to do with it? Uh, yeah, we deal with them pretty regularly. I mean, they have their own show run. The showrunner Roberto Aguirre Sacasa is our chief creative officer. So there's a big connective. There's a lot of connective tissue between the shows and and the the publishing. But you know, we're we're in contact with them pretty regularly. Oh, I mean, that's they cool. have their own writers' rooms and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but. You know, they, they're basing a lot of stuff from actual Archie comics, which is exciting. Nice. It's just fun to see little hat tips in, in on TV that you, you know you had some small part in. That's fun. Yeah. Um, he has a question. Uh, what would you change about Riverdale if you could? <laughs> what would I change about Riverdale if you could? I don't know if I'd change anything. I think Riverdale is like one of this is, – is, it kind of accomplishes a really challenging thing. It's really idyllic, but it's also – pretty diverse and representative of today, which I think it probably wasn't maybe 10 or 15 years ago before our CEO, John Goldwater joined the company. So, and his, one of his mandates when he came in was I want it to feel like Archie's living in today, not in the fifties. And um, I think that's when you saw a lot of uh, new characters being introduced, a lot of newer st storylines and just, it became a little more freewheeling. So I, I think, I don't think I would change anything. Maybe that maybe a couple more vegan options if possible. <laughs> um, and so one final question about from Lodestar is what inspired the Archie versus Alien series? Archie versus Predator. Um, oh, Predator. Yeah, no, it's uh, we were having a creative summit. I think it was like the first ever Archie creative summit, and it was a few years into the new CEO's time, John and. Um, he just said, I want to try crazy things. Like, what are these the craziest things you could think of? And our chief creative officer said, "Why we should do stuff like Archie Predator. Like, would they go for that? And so we, after that meeting, we reached out to Dark Horse, which had the publishing rights for Predator, and they were up for it. And um, we just released the second series, which is in a much grittier style. But people love that stuff. They just love the weird pairings of Archie with, like, Predator or the Ramones or Sharknado. Or, you know, we, we're doing Archie meets the B-52s this month. Uh, oh, fun. Yeah. Yes, I'm co-writing that, so. Oh, awesome. That sounds super fun. Yeah, it was cool. 
That's that's so funny. That's definitely no not two properties I would have ever thought to put together. But it looks pretty perfectly. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. it's done in this kind of not to like toot my own horn, but it's just done in a kind of classic way. And it's you know Archie is um he's working at a radio st at a TV station, and the B52s happen to be a guest, and they need an opening band. And, uh, <laughs> and Archie's like, oh man, I just broke up my band, and so then the B52s have to help him. Uh, reunite the Archies. So, oh, yeah, that's good. I yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah, there's some fun little moments there. So, um, well, to bring it back, I, I feel like the switching I, gears, <laughs> switching gears a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. I, um, I don't know nearly enough about comics to ask smart questions about it. So I'm like, let's move back to mysteries. <laughs> I, should send you a I should send you like a graphic novelist. <laughs> oh, I've asked you for recommendations before and you always give me really good ones. And oh, I have to tell you- You never respond. And <laughs> no, 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 you're always great about giving me recommendations and I'm like, on it, I'm on it. And then okay. I get intimidated again. It's hard to jump into a new uh, a new uh, reading genre, but um, I need to do better about that. It is hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on like a 101 list for you. <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's what I, that's the reason I came on tonight. I need a, I need a tutorial. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you, you talked about this a little bit. So you were working for Archie Comics 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, you started reading mysteries, but what specifically about noir um, attracted you? Because I feel like noir is a, a little bit specific and a little bit different from just your standard whodunit thrill, uh, mystery or a thriller. I mean, noir yeah. has this whole tone and everything. So was there something specific about that genre that drew you towards it? Yeah, I think what, what really resonated for me, at least, uh, you know, I have this short list of novels that I always repeat, and uh, I'm sure the authors I mentioned are tired of it, but it's it was just really flawed protagonists um, who weren't necessarily like these alpha private eyes. And, and the idea of noir is that your, your protagonist is in a hopeless situation and in the desperate situation that they've kind of brought upon themselves through their own uh, inability to, you know, through their own vices, you know, they make mistakes and, and you know, these, these primal things pull them into dark places. Um, and so when you mix that with the private eye genre, it's really interesting. Um, and I was, I had, I read all the classic stuff like Raymond Chandler and things like that, but I also wanted to see a story where you found out how Philip Marlowe became Philip Marlowe. And you never see that, which you don't need to with Philip Marlowe because it's told in such a romantic, great way. Um, but, you know, books like George Pelicanos's, Nick Stefano's books, uh, the Laura Lipman, Tess Monahan books, um, Dennis Lehane's Pat and Angie books. And um, I love those because you do get to see the PI become the PI. You know, it, it happens quickly in some, like I think Tess is a PI right away. And uh, Nick Stefanos never becomes a PI until much later in the Pelicanos universe of books. And um, and I think Pat and Angie, they are PIs already from the beginning, but it's, it's all about their, their journey and they're never universally successful. You know, they're not like these uh, invincible knights that can just beat back the bad guys. Um, and so the idea of a really flawed protagonist was something that resonated with me. And each of those books are so strong in setting um, that you really get the dark side of these beautiful cities like DC and Boston and, and Baltimore. Um, and I thought that that would really resonate with, with Miami, just being this tropical paradise that has a really dark side. So, so I just cribbed everything from those books. <laughs> so that's a great yeah, question. Pete starts out in such a low place and then we get to see him uh, he he doesn't have a, a kind of a, an arc that just goes straight up. It's sort of it's much more complicated than that. But yeah, he definitely starts out in a pretty broken place, and we get to see him kind of 
put himself back together again. Yeah, but I'm glad you noticed that because I think it's funny. I was thinking about this, you know, now I can think about this as a whole because it's done. Like, yeah. uh, I remember handing a, the first book to a friend and she she was like, I really love it. Just don't get him sober. Like, I want to <laughs> read about him like suffering. Um, and he, I, I did, didn't expect him to get better so much quickly, so quickly. Like, in this, by the second book, he's, he's going to meetings, but then he still has another fall and things go up and down. And so... Uh, I did appreciate that kind of aspect to it, that it's a little bit more of a roller coaster as opposed to uh, every book he gets a little bit better, so. Yeah, and more believable that way, I think. I think so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I know, you know, people struggling with addiction, it's not a linear path, it's it's something mm -hmm. that's a big topsy-turvy, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> All right, so um, it's our final question. It's a question I ask every guest. And I did not give you a heads up on this. Sometimes I give people a heads up, so I'm sorry. It's a doozy. It's a doozy of a question, yeah. so. Ebony, get ready for the face. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the question is, what is the most important book that you've ever read and why? And you define important however you want to. That is a good question. I'm, I am right next to my, uh... okay, well, this is a weird answer, and it, it's not really a book that, Okay, so I read The Godfather when I was like eight. I should not have read that book when I was eight. But I, whenever I tell people that, it kind of explains itself. Like it, it really like pushed me towards that kind of fiction. It's so it's it's a really pulpy, gritty, like nasty little book in comparison to the movie, which is very like regal and you know it's it's much more like this epic saga. But if you read The Godfather book it's a really just kind of down and dirty crime novel. And I remember reading that at such a young age and there's a lot of stuff that I probably should not have been reading at eight, but um, I think it left an impression and it made me really interested in crime stories and true crime, which true crime is such a huge influence on my fiction. I, you know, if I read a true crime book, it finds its way into my own stuff, whether it's just like little factoids or just plots. But um, I think it kicked down a lot of doors for me that I didn't really, realize I was walking through until much later. Nice. I'm proud of myself. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> I was, was expecting um, that question. Yeah, that so was Ebony, a good answer. I'm impressed. Ebony <laughs> always comments on the faces people make when I ask that question. Oh, you <laughs> <did>. <laughs> I survived. Thank you for your support. <laughs> all right. So that is all we have for you, Alex. Um, so can you just let people know what you have coming up next and where we can find you? Um, like on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Segura, S-E-G-U-R-A, on my website, alexsegura.com. Um, Archie Meets the B-52s is out in February. Uh, the Black Ghost Volume 1, which is a collection of the first five issues, will be out, I think, sometime in March. And the Poe Dameron Star Wars novel will be out in August. So a uh, pretty quiet year for me. <laughs> I'm so busy here. Yeah. Um, all right, so thank, thank you, you, Alex. For having me. This was awesome. Oh yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and uh, you can hang out, and if you want to chat with us afterwards, or you can just go if you need to go. So whatever, yeah, no, you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we'll see you in a couple minutes then. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was fun. That was fun. That was, he Alex does so much. I feel like we could have a three-hour conversation yeah. just about each of his different uh, endeavors. Yeah, he was actually one of the first people that I invited to be on the show when I started it. 
Um, and and he was going to do November, but then there was a schedule conflict. And so here we are in February. So perfect. Yeah. Uh, speaking of November, that's so weird. I did not plan that at all. <laughs> um, the audiobook of the week today is actually called Killing November. Ooh, perfect. I know. Weird. Um, so this is a YA audiobook by Adriana Mather. And I'll just read the quote from the publisher. From the number one New York Times bestselling author of How to Hang a Witch comes a thriller set at a secretive boarding school where students are trained to carry on family legacies that have been built, I mean, sorry, that have built and toppled empires. Um, and November's father sends her to school after her aunt's house is robbed, but she has no idea what the school is. She has no idea what she's in for when she gets there. Um, and this was like a, a, a sleeper hit for me. Like this was a surprise for me. It was a book that I'd requested a while back from the publisher um, because I thought the concept sounded interesting and I actually haven't read her first book, How to Hang a Witch, which I know was really popular. Um, and it's like, I don't know, it's like the kind of YA that I really like. It's like boarding school and it's like, there's a lot going on and it's like really fun and um, and it's narrated by Cassandra Morris, who has narrated like a ton of audiobooks, especially in YA. Like, I think she did the Pretty Little Liars series. She does like so, so much in YA um, and middle grade as well. And so she's a great narrator. Um, you probably haven't. Have you read it? I have, I have not. I've yeah. not read it, but it I sounds great. I like, like, I, don't know I, like, <laughs> I like a good boarding school uh, drama or mystery, though. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was fun because like, um, so her basically like, well, you know, pretty early on her father was in the CIA. Well, that's what he tells her. Um, and so it has these little like snippets where it's, it's stories from her childhood where he's obviously teaching her the same skills that like these people know, but oh, just like framing it differently. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and then, so she's like, she doesn't even know what the school is. Like it, it takes her a while to even figure out like what's going on. And like, literally people die at the school. People kill each other at the school, you know? It's intense. It's intense. Yeah. But it was fun. Yeah. Even though that sounds weird. No, that sounds fun. That sounds fun. You're I feel like you're talking to the right audience. I'm like, yeah. Ooh. That's really cool. Um, Ebony said, just adding Killing November to my TBR list. Ebony says that every time I talk about an audio book. <laughs> this one's good, though. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm always a sucker for boarding school book, too. Yeah, there's just something about boarding school books. I um, just picked up a new one. I haven't read it yet, but J.T. Ellison's new mystery, Good Girls Lie, I believe is the title, is mm. also board, a good board. It's a boarding school mystery, so... That sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah. I love titles like that. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about today's viewer poll. So if you follow me on Twitter at all, you might have seen I had a very controversial tweet this week. You did. Oh, so controversial. Yeah. Um, I suggested that people want to be published authors should read one book published in the last five years. And that's all I said. I didn't say, you know, don't read older books. I didn't say burn the classics to the ground, which is apparently how some people <laughs> crazy <laughs> figure that. Crazy. So uh, the, the poll is based on um, that kind of like thing. So I just was curious, like um, how many books did you read last year? You know, 
So let's pull, yeah. let's pull the poll up and I'll take a look. Can I, can we see the answers there? Um, yeah. So how many books did you read in 2019? And so I, I just kind of like randomly came up with these categories. <laughs> just mm -hmm. like, I know there's a huge difference between reading zero books in a year and 15 books in a year, but uh, that's where we're at. Cause Twitter only lets you have four options. So <laughs> I don't um, think people who don't read would respond to the poll. So I think that actually you're good. Well, I didn't think that until this week. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and also it's it's mainly people who follow me on Twitter, so they're they're more likely to be readers. I think um, they're likely course. to be readers, yeah. Yeah. You've got a lot of notifications that would stress me out that you haven't clicked on. <laughs> well, no, because it's that that tweet went viral. Like mm. so I'm oh, literally like, yeah. I'm right, getting right, like right. twenty a minute. So oh, um God. yeah. Uh, but it looks like we have like a good spread here. The 36% said 16 to 45, 26% said 45 to 80, 19% said they read, read more than 81 books. That's amazing. And That's then amazing. we have 19% that said zero to 15. How many did, books did, do you know? How many books you read last year? I didn't count in 2019 because I counted in 2018 and I found it was stressing me out. Um, that it sort of became competitive and I don't like to read like that. So, um, I think I read about a book a week. So I would say, let's, uh, let's say we had a couple of bad weeks in there and around 50, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> what about I, you? I, I read 92. Ooh, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but most of those are audiobooks. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, well, actually last year, my commute's only like 15 minutes now, but year before last, it was 45 minutes. And so I, I got a lot of audiobooks in. But I would um, say, I feel like an audiobook takes longer than... Well, I listen to it at 1.8 speed. Oh, got it, got it, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> and also I can do it while I'm driving, which I can't do with a physical book. <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, that's true. probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, but Not like, recommended. I will say 30 of those, more than 30 of those were for the Audis. Mm, right. And we, right, we had so a deadline on those. Yeah. And so I was actually yeah. listening. Usually I just listen in the car, but I was actually listening at home, um, so they could get through them. Right. Um, right. and I should say out of my 50, a lot of those are poetry collections. So that actually does not take very long to read. Rereading. Some people, <laughs> yeah. Some people were responding like, oh, <laughs> this many, but a lot of them were picture books because they're picture book authors, you know? <laughs> right, right. Or if you have children, right? I'm sure you're or, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those take a little less time to read. A I remember like, time, yeah. yeah. Um, last year, I was like getting close to the end of the year and I was like, let's read the short books on my queue so I can like, right. do Both through the numbers. But that was me in 2018 <laughs> and I didn't like it. So I was like, I'm not going to count in 2019. I'm just going to yeah. read what I want. Um, Ebony said I hit 107 audiobooks last year. That's, that's great, oh, Ebony. Fantastic. That's great. Um, 120 in 2020. I like that. Yeah. There were only maybe 11 hardcovers. <laughs> <laughs> she listens at 1.25 speed, but I listen during my entire eight-hour shift at work. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. Nice. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah, that is nice. I try to listen I at work, but I either – do my work badly or forget what's happening in the book. <laughs> so, yeah. um, 
Let's see. I'm scrolling through here. Kendra. Yeah, it's funny. We, last time we talked about this, a lot of people live at, listen to audio at, at faster speeds than normal. That's clever. It's very clever. I think, I don't know. I probably read like six print books last year. Best asked, how much do fanfics count for? <laughs> they count for, they count the same, I think. Yeah, I think they count the same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't include all my pitch wars inbox reading. Oh, yeah. There are probably a couple books in there. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my followers are readers. Because I blocked clear. all the ones that yelled at me. So. I can't believe people yelled at you. I, I, I'm <laughs> sure it was very. At me. I'm so. I'm sure it was a stressful week for you. Um, but yeah. it just seems so silly um, from the outside looking in. It's a strange thing to think is controversial. Yeah, it yeah. really, really, really surprised me. So um, I'm yeah. still like, just I'm kind of in shock. But uh, like on the well, not the bright side, but like Beverly Jenkins, who I'm a huge fan of. She followed me on Twitter after all of or during all of it. And I was like, mm. it's all worth it now. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. her so much. I, I, like all my friends know, I just like adore her. So, oh. um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Hopefully like NK Jemison messaged me and was like, oh, cool. Yeah. I was like, this is good advice. And I was like, thank you. I love you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so moving on to the quote of the week, which is, is another really big coincidence because, so I actually chose every quote of the week for every episode in October. And so I did not choose this specifically for this week, but it applies to everything else. Uh, many people, myself among them feel better at the mere sight of a book. Jane Smiley. Yeah. Read I like book. it. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I read that and I was like, true. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. Okay. Uh, let's see. I get some comments. <laughs> Kendra, NK Jemis. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I love her too. She's a great author. And well, like, she agrees with me, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So I think that's it. Um, Erica, can you tell everyone we have your Twitter and your website in the description down below. So make sure you go check that out, but anything else you want to add or anything that's coming out soon? Oh, I have a nonfiction book called snake about snakes oh. coming out in uh, September. Cool. So thanks all so right. much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you so much. And thanks yeah. for dealing with my tech issues at the beginning. Oh, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's just, that's just life on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to um, take you off the screen and I'll finish the outro and, uh, and then I'll talk to you in just a minute. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. All right. So that was a fun episode. I'm glad we got the tech issues sorted out like much quicker than we did last episode. Um, if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like and subscribe right there so you don't miss another episode and tell your friends because that is how people find out about things like this. There's also an option to subscribe to reminders via email. 
um, and a Patreon down below. Thank you so much to my Patreon subscribers. I am so grateful for you and I'm so happy to have your support every week. It makes, it just makes me so happy to know that you're out there supporting me. So, um, and the link for that in the description, if you want to join that, the social media for all of our guests, both of our guests are in the description along with the Pub Talk Live social media. So make sure you check that out. Next, the next episode is going to be very different. It's going to be a special episode. It's going to be live from Coastal Magic Convention, which is an urban fantasy and paranormal romance convention in Daytona. And I will be there with about 50 authors. Not all of them are going to be on the show, um, but we're probably going to have about 10 of them on the show and kind of do like little mini interviews through the night. So it's going to be a little bit different from what you're used to, but it should be super fun. And if you, I think there are still tickets available. So if you are a paranormal romance, urban fantasy fan, make sure you check out Coastal Magic Convention. I think the website is just coastalmagicconvention.com because you could join us and then we would have a live show live in person. It's already live. That's confusing. Anyway, um, so thank you so much for watching. I don't have the regular outro video because I don't have the promo show um, image for next week, but I do. Uh... Thank you so much for listening to this pre-recorded episode of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about the show and find out how you can watch live, go to pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake, Jay Lynn, and Reframe.